0: So if you notice, uh, if you're with us on our, I hate to say a normal Sunday, is any Sunday really normal? But on a regular Sunday, uh, the, the front up here looks a little different and, uh, you know, we just wanted to make some space for today and, and those things. And so um, I'm really excited to be able to take a few moments in sharing God's word, word with you as we talk about the importance of a Christian home. Uh, What a great privilege that we have as uh, families, And, and I don't mean, you know, a nuclear family in the sense of if you have children, but like as the family of God to take time to look into his word and to consider the great responsibility and privilege that we have to build our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. There was a not-so-recent article. It was written, I think, 50 years ago. I don't know if any of you remember who Irma Bombeck was. She had an advice column. Um, She wrote this probably 50 years ago. And I I thought it was very appropriate to read today. She says, uh, Let me share with you some of the things of the challenges of raising children. She she writes, it astounds me that one out of every two teenagers in this country finds their parents' lifestyle unappealing and has no intention of following in their footsteps. 50 years ago. I'm guessing it's more than 50% now. Um, She goes on to say, 54% of America's teenagers, according to a recent Gallup poll, said their parents are boring. They don't go out and do things. They don't see people or go on vacations. They don't pursue another career or pick up and move. If they could make a change from their parents' lives, they'd say they'd have more free time, fewer children, stay single longer, and be rich. Parents, aren't you disappointed you didn't think of those things first? As children, if you're here with us today and teenagers and everyone in between, if you could indulge me a bit, um, I'd like to tell you a story that Irma Bombeck shares based on those findings. And she says, once upon a time, there were two young people who were bored to death with their parents' lifestyle. Their parents stayed home all the time. They didn't see people, never seemed to have a lot of money. They didn't go on vacations, and they never showed much imagination. The young people made a vow to be different, though. They were going to get a boat, but you came along. They were going to go to Kauai and surf, but your sister arrived. They were going to take up golf, but the price of a sitter was way too high. Next thing they knew, you were teenagers. No ordinary teenagers, but teenagers with crooked teeth. They, they were teenagers that wanted to excel in sports. You were involved in many activities to enrich your life. You needed allowances. You needed your own phone. You needed herbal concoctions for your hair every three days. Your parents thought of going out, but their clothes were already at a party, and so was their car. The vacation went for the sports camps and the entertaining took second place to the slumber party. Their careers, wishes, and dreams were listed way down on the priority list, under college for the children, loans for cars, and weddings. The thought of showing some imagination and moving elsewhere was built around you finishing school. Leaving your friends and being able to adjust to a move seemed too difficult, so they settled for what their, pe- their parents settled for as for riches you've got me there she says they never made it to the big cruiser the white shag carpet in the bathroom which who does that anyways and surfing in Kauai. but don't tell your parents they had you and they think that they are rich Now the story, while amusing and true, reveals a hint of something that is important for us to consider on a day like today. We had several families stand before the Lord God and the assembly of the community of faith make promises and commitments to the Lord to ask for His grace in the stewardship of raising their children. The truth is, Parenting is hard work. There is no free time. As a parent, I only know now just how consuming it is to raise a child. It takes all you got, right? If you're raising children, I see that look in your eyes. If you raise children, I see that breath that you're taking. On top of that, in this amazing, challenging, wonderful journey of raising children, you're always wondering if you're doing your best. You're always wondering, am I messing it up? When you have children, there's that that amazing perspective that you only get one shot right you get one go around with your kids and in the long scheme of things of 18 years or longer you begin to think wow like in those moments there's going to be more moments but those moments go quickly my children are 16 and 14 I look at them in a way of saying, the majority of my time directly influencing their lives is almost up. And I think, wow, where did it go? Where did the time go? There's another layer to all of this. And I would say it's, it's tied into the immense pressure that is put on families from the outside world. It seems from every corner of society, as we are being pulled in different directions as families, and I would say that many parents today are feeling this pressure of wondering if they're doing the right thing, pursuing the right things, and wondering if they are keeping up with the demands of a fast-paced world around them. Social media doesn't help. You scroll through a social media feed of all these wonderful pictures of families doing all of these wonderful things. And there's that pressure of thinking, oh my gosh, am I doing enough? Did we go on enough trips? Do I have enough experiences for my children? And the list goes on and on. And we look at all of these perfect pictures and worry that our children and families are missing out. A question that we should ask on a day like this when we consider these things is what if our pursuit for all of those things was misguided? All of the pursuits. All of the experiences. What if in the pursuit of all of those things we lost something along the way? But I think even the better question to ask is what would our families look like if we totally committed ourselves to a biblical worldview for our homes? The commitments that these parents made this morning to dedicate their homes to the Lord, to seek His faithfulness and His grace. And so today, it's good for us to look again at the eternal, timeless truths of God as a reminder And possibly a recalibration of our lives and homes in this amazing journey of parenthood. Here's the thing. Family and life itself is not an accident. We're not here by accident. We have a creator, our Heavenly Father. And the creator has a grand design for the family. The family is his idea. It's his design. And so don't you think it would be wise for us to ask him and seek him for guidance and direction for the thoughts and intentions for our lives? It begins in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, we read, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and roll over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful. Fill the earth. And steward it. Manage it well. It's God's design for one man to be united with one woman in marriage and to have a family, to have children, and to fill the earth. Now, obviously, not all couples are able to have children, and God has his purpose in barrenness. But from the very beginning, it was God's desire for man and woman to be united and fill the earth and subdue it. God's design is for married couples to have children. In fact, children are a reward from our Heavenly Father. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Who build it? Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, children, next time things are not going so hot at home and maybe you're being disciplined for some reason because, hey, that happens, Let's not go to Psalm 127 and verse three and say to our parents in the heat of that moment. Hey, mom and dad, I just want to remind you I'm a gift to you. They know that. But the main principle of Psalm 127. Is that all success is from God. Everything depends upon his blessing. And so when we read in verse 1, I'm getting ahead of myself. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless God does it, we know that any attempt to do it on our own is feeble and it will lead to failure. And then we read in verse 3, behold, children are a gift of the Lord. And that word behold acts like a siren to us to get our attention listen up one of god's greatest blessings is children and the reason why they are a gift or as some translations say a heritage is because that word means possession property or inheritance And what God is communicating to us as mom and dad, as we look over our children, is that they are here not by accident, but they are here as a divine gift from him. The reality is God gives parents the gift of a child, but in all reality, they belong to him by his providence. He invites us as parents to be stewards of their lives. To prepare them for a life that is ready to live for him. And to fulfill the purposes that he has designed for them. Angela and I have settled this in, in our hearts. It didn't happen overnight and we need reminders of it from time to time. But it's this truth that we love our children very much. But God loves them more. And we are called to steward their lives. And we constantly remind ourselves of that amazing faithful love that God has for them. We are living in a strange society where children are considered an encumbrance, but not an inheritance. We're living in a sick culture where children are received with regret and not reward. We live in a twisted society where there is more legal protection for animals than there are for infants. We live in a world that is so scattered that in one room of a hospital, there is a room dedicated to taking the life of an unborn. And just in another room, there are doctors buzzing around, expanding their talent and services To save a premature baby, God says that children are an inheritance and a reward. Whether He chooses to give one or ten, that is God's thinking, and that's how we as Christians should think when we consider children. Children are blessings from the Lord who benefit and enrich our lives. I would say, if I'm completely honest, I don't always feel like my children are blessing and benefiting my life. <laughs> it's like, Lord, why this struggle right now? But there's two implications based on that divine truth. First, God gave blessing, th- these blessings to parents, and parents ought to regard children as a sacred trust from the Lord. So parents are stewards of the precious lives for which they will one day give an account before God. You will give an account as a parent for how you have led your child. And God will ask you to consider where you spent your resources, your time, your gifts, your talents, and the stewardship of them. words that you say, the attitudes and actions that you portray, you will give an account. The second thing is since God is the giver of children, there's a major responsibility of every parent to train them up in the fear of the Lord. God is the giver of life. He's the architect of the family. And now he's saying, this is what I want you to do. And this is what I love about God and his word. He doesn't lead us into a a misty fog into the future of saying, you know what? We'll figure it out along the way. God in his grace says, I know what I want you to do. Here it is. Now do it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're just going to spend a few minutes here in Deuteronomy 6 as we consider some of these responsibilities that we have as parents to train up our children. And as you turn there, I just want to take a minute and have us consider the context of what Moses is writing here in Deuteronomy. Now the word Deuteronomy that we find in, in our English Bibles means repetition of the law. Or second giving of the law. And what Moses was doing at this stage in the history of God's work with his people Israel was retelling the law to a new generation of people that would be going into the land that God had promised to give them. Because what had happened was Moses led a nation of people out of Egypt when they were in slavery. And as they were on their way to the land that God had promised to give them, those people, that generation rebelled against God. They had sent some spies into the land to kind of spy it out and to check it out to see what was going on and what it would take to enter that land. And as the spies came back, 10 of them gave an unfavorable report. And they said, 10 out of those 12 spies said, we can't do it. There's too many of the people. It's going to be too difficult. I don't know what, basically what they're saying is, I don't know what God was thinking by telling us he was going to give us this land. And the nation of Israel believed their report. And what did God do? He judged them. And he said, okay, if you won't trust me, you you don't get to take that land. And for the next 40 years, that generation of the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness they're never going to enter the land of promise. But in Deuteronomy 6, Moses writes to those same parents that will not enter the promised land. And he gives them a blueprint of what they should be doing as they prepare their children to take the land of promise. It's crazy to me, but it's amazing. It's a gift of his grace that he sets this framework. And this is what we read in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and following. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be written... Or shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, verse four in the Hebrew, as a, as a person was a part of the, the nation of Israel, they considered this as a doctrinal statement that led them in their worship of God. It was a call to worship. As Israel would gather, they would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And they called that the Shema. And the word Shema is the first word in verse 4 for the word hear. That's where it comes from. Now, this call to hear is not just once, but is expressed in a way that conveys hear the truth continually. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. As often as you have an opportunity to tune your ears in to the voice of God, you should understand the Lord our God is one. Now, the word for Lord here in Deuteronomy 6 is the word that we translate Yahweh. What Moses is telling these parents to express is that there is no one like our God. He is unique and unlike any of the other gods in the world. He is a God of unity, one in essence, One in harmony. And this statement became a creed for the nation of Israel. They expressed that there is no one like our God. Parents, that needs to be the foundation of your homes. There is no one like our God. We would live, that we would live in such a way and talk in such a way that we express the uniqueness of our God. That there is no one and that there is nothing like Him. And in a world that is pressuring us and pulling us in all sorts of different directions to have all of these experiences and all of these possessions and all of these things that are still yet to come that are material and even not just material things but like that feeling in our lives that we are fulfilled God says to us, always remember that I am the true and living God. And we as parents are to make that the rally cry of our homes. To acknowledge God in this way is to understand that he alone is majestic and powerful. The fact that he is one enforces the idea that he is a trinity, that he's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That they are three distinct personalities, but in one, in essence, one God and three persons. The reality is that every parent is a theology teacher. You are. You're a theology teacher and you are called to pass on the spiritual heritage to your child. They are the next generation and you are called to raise them up in the fear of God. The first truth in the Shema is to declare the oneness of God. The second is to express our love for him. Verse four says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Verse five, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is what it means or this is what we pass on to our children this is what we model it isn't just what we say it's how we live you know don't go home today and just say okay you need to love God these ways okay I told you now go do it we all know what that means right do as I say not as I do that doesn't work very well we are not only to tell our children to love God, we are to model to them what it means to love God. And not just say that you love him, but what does Moses say in, in verse 5? Love him with your heart, your soul, and your might. To love God with all of your heart focuses on the mind. The heart in the Old Testament focused on the mind. It wasn't the brain. It was, the heart was the essence of who we are. It was the rational part of mankind. Love God with all your heart. The soul refers to the invisible part of the individual that lives forever. Yes, we have a material part, an earth suit that will decay. But there is an immaterial part of every person because we are created in God's image and his breath was breathed into us. And that part that lives forever is what is referred to as our soul. Love God with all your soul. And then Moses says, love God with all your might. Now this refers to the physical side. With all of its functions and capacities, love God in every way. That you live your life. To love God this way is to love him with undivided loyalty. To love him completely. This statement was quoted by Jesus. When people came to him and said, Jesus, what is the greatest command? I mean, out of all the things that God said, what is the most important thing that I should do if I want God's blessing? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Verses 6 through 9 become the way that we are to teach these truths. First, to teach our children, look at verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You know what that tells me? You can't teach what you don't know personally. it needs to begin here with us and i want to be careful how i say this but we need to settle this right now it is the parents responsibility to train their children in the love of god not the churches it's not our job our responsibility is to equip you for the work of training your children to help you in that journey To pray for you and encourage you and to point you to scripture when you're tired and worried and doubting the promises of God. I mean, understand this as a church, like our church alone, we make a huge investment in children and youth ministry. Without knowing the exact details, and I could ask Doug and he'd be able to rattle them off just like that. I'm just guessing we make at least a $65,000 a year commitment to children and youth ministry here at Northamble Bible Church. It's a huge, uh, a huge deposit of resources to help you in that journey. But the church is never meant to replace you as the parent. To raise your children in the fear of God. Listen, if you only bring your child to church for one hour on a Sunday morning and maybe one hour on a Sunday evening, but every other hour of the week, there's nothing going on in your home that is fostering and nurturing what it means to fear God. You're wasting precious time and the precious privilege and opportunity that you have to raise your children. Moses says, you shall teach them diligently. This word diligent means sharply, being deliberate. The idea of when you sit, walk, lie down, and rise up carries with it the consistent telling and modeling over and over again to love God. The consistent modeling. Oh man, that part of it for me is really hard. Because I am so... Prone to get in the way. I get cranky and irritable and tired. And I have other things on my agenda sometimes. And things don't always work out the way that I want them to. Do you ever have a day where, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Looking at David's life where you weren't having a very good day. And yet we're still called to model a love for Christ. Even when it's hard and difficult. When you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up. Parenting, or that's what parenting is all about. Not just behavior modification, but impressing upon the heart of your child the need to follow the Lord because he is our creator and he loves us. It's not just behavior modification like, hey, you're grounded. What did I do? Well, we'll talk about it later. Just go to your room. And then after they're in their room, half hour, an hour, however long you do that, then they come out of their room and you never talk about it. You never pray with them. You never encourage them. And, and then it's just like, well, what just happened? Well, what just happened is you, were, you punished them, but you didn't discipline them. You didn't correct and change the heart. Listen, children don't catch a love for God by accident. They see it in us through talk. That's really highlighted here in Deuteronomy 6. They shall be on your heart. In verse 7, you shall teach them diligently. And you shall talk of them in all those ways. But it's shared by what we say. And so I would encourage you as Christian parents who want to lead your children in the fear of God. To talk with your children about who God is. To do devotions together. To read the Bible together. To pray together together. To talk about what God is doing in your life every day. And to make it a big point in your life as a family. It should happen whenever you are at home, whenever you lie down, whenever you rise up. Be diligent. Not just, what did you learn in Sunday school today? Or how was youth group? But to really talk about who God is. And what he's doing in our lives. Parents seize the opportunities as you listen to their lives throughout the week. A walk with God is is a comfortable thing. It's meant for Monday through Saturday, not just today. Talk with them. Ask them what they're thinking. Question them on what they believe. Ask them what's going on in their world. How their friends are doing. What they're learning in school what the big issues in their lives are, and then see how God opens the door to interject his truth. Verses 8 and 9 illustrate that God's word is to control everything we do. Moses says it should be a sign on your hand or frontals on your forehead. And you might be thinking at that point, we don't know what you're talking about. Well, very basically, it means the word of God should be easily reachable and nearby in your life. The disciples said to Jesus in John 6, 68, Where else shall we go, Lord? For we know that you have the words to eternal life. This book in front of us isn't just pages with text on it, but it is God's voice, the living word of God, and it leads us to life. Open it up. Meditate on it. Talk about it. Rest in it. God's words should be all around you. A sign on your hand, which is, you know, easily accessible. Frontals on your forehead, which the the nation of Israel took this to the like nth degree. And they actually like wore things on their head that had like scripture reminders on them. But it just means whatever is in front of you should go through the filter of God's word. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, Moses says. Now, ladies, don't go run to Hobby Lobby tomorrow and buy all of those pictures that have Bible verses on them and say, okay, I'm fulfilling what Moses said here, and we're going to fill our house with the Word of God. That's not what he's saying. To write it on the doorpost of our house and on our gates is that when we come and go, God's word should always remind us of who he is. Our homes should be committed to the faithful study of God's word. The goal in all of this was for Israel to train up the next generation to love and fear the Lord. Look at verse 13. You shall fear only the Lord your God and you shall worship him and swear by his name. That's what it's all about. Now, as we close this morning, there's a couple things I, I just want to draw our attention to. I'd like to remind you again of the sacred responsibility that we have to raise our children in the fear of the Lord, to love him completely. And while the responsibility to train our children is upon us as parents, I would like to also call your attention to something in this journey. You're not alone. You're not alone in the journey of raising children. It can be an incredibly scary, frustrating, lonely journey. But you're not alone. In God's providence, he has given you a community of faith, much like Israel had in the Old Testament, to share the common life of Jesus Christ. And that community is the church This morning, we made promises to God together as a church family to help these parents raise their children in the fear of God. You're not alone. That's why we commit ourselves to the discipleship of your child from way on young, preschool age, all the way up through college and career age. But I've noticed something, and I want to be entirely gracious this morning. In what I've noticed in my pastoral response, more so in the last year and a half than ever before in the 20 years of ministry that I've been involved in. Our young children are largely missing from the community of faith. If you're a part of our church and you've been through the whole COVID experience, you can look around and see where did the young families go? Where are the children? I mean, they're here, but not at the levels that they were before. I've talked to other pastors, and and they've noticed the same things. Where have the children gone? It's like COVID provided some kind of reset, where overly busy families have taken Sundays off and said, we can stream it later. I want to be entirely gracious. But I also want to help you to understand we have live streaming and it's a great toll, but it's never a means to an end. It's a far different experience to be here in this room together than it is to be on the other side of a screen. In the presence of God's people singing God's praises. And what I've noticed before COVID, but it was only amplified after the shutdowns and reopenings, is that there are a lot of tired families, tired, exhausted. I mean, by the time that Sunday rolls around, there just doesn't seem to be enough energy to come and worship regularly. So here's a challenge for all of us. Because I'd love to see here every week, week in, week out, studying God's word together, celebrating God's goodness and singing his praises together. Here's here's what I'd like us to consider. Let's practice the principle of firsts. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this. God gave us his best. We deserve to give him ours. The early church in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, met on the first day of the week. The first day of the week wasn't Monday. It was Sunday. Why don't we do the same thing? Be committed to God to start off our week on Sunday saying, God, this is for you and be committed in the faithful worship and celebration of his goodness together. Start our week off strong by gathering to worship and celebrate God. Start your week off in community, growing together in his word. Rather than limping into Sunday, right? It's like, oh gosh, that's the only day I have to catch up on sleep. Rather than limping into Sunday, let's be steadfast in our commitment. That means we live in such a way that we prioritize the gathering of the precious body that Jesus Christ redeemed. We are the body of Christ. That may mean our priorities change. Listen, we do what we find important. We do what we find important. It also means as parents... That we cultivate an attitude of commitment to the church, to our kids. We frame our weeks around important things. What we've invested in. It's a whole lot I could say about that. But I would say this, and I said this at the start of my message. You get one shot with your kids. The most precious thing in their life is their soul. It's not how far they can hit a baseball and my son plays baseball. It's not how many how well they can sing in a concert and my daughter sings really well. You get one shot. Celebrate. Celebrate together the goodness of God. With his people. And you know what happens when we're together? We get to help each other and pray for each other and encourage each other. And children, I get it. Church can be boring sometimes. It really can. My daughter just, never mind. She'll yell at me. (laughs) She's going to yell at me now. I get it though. Church is going to be boring, it can be confusing. Why do we stand up and sit down so much? Why do we say these words? Why do we look at the Bible so long? I get it. But being in the regular presence of people who love God and seek to worship him is good for our lives. To hear the word of God preached and the example of godly teachers lead us in such a way that brings us into the presence of godliness is beneficial for our lives. We will always make children's ministry a priority here because we believe in your families and we want to see them grow and thrive. We can't do it alone and we know that you cannot either. And so as we continue this journey of faith, let's do it together as we walk with the Lord for his glory and the purpose of being conformed to his image. Let's pray.